Hello there, Grassroots family. Welcome to Season 3 of Grassroots Radio. I am your host, Yannick Bird, coming to you from a cemetery. I actually left my house, (laughs) came to a cemetery to sit in the grass and record and edit this podcast because I needed a break from the internet. And I'm sure it's no mystery as to why I needed that break. We are experiencing unprecedented chaos in this moment. It's hard to believe this year is almost halfway done already. And it seems like the only thing that's happened so far is disaster after disaster. We're seeing crazy levels of police brutality and racial violence happening in the United States. And as a result, ripples of viral and violent, in many cases, protests spreading throughout the Western world, all during a global pandemic that we are still uncertain whether it's over or whether we're going to be seeing second waves of this Sickness spreading throughout our societies as people are increasingly pouring out into the streets, whether in protest or just out of sheer restlessness. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy time. As a result, a lot of us may be experiencing crazy levels of anxiety, crazy levels of depression, sadness, anger, fear, frustration. And as someone who has taken on the responsibility to hold space for this community in particular, I wanted to do my part to make sure that even though I'm from a distance, people have some place to congregate together and to make meaning and make sense of what's happening and to support each other if that's what's needed. So in an effort to do that, I'll be holding a coaching circle, or you could call them deep check-ins just to begin with, Um, weekly, probably on Sundays. But if you would like more information about that or you would like to join, you can head over to thenewgrassroots.com, click on Get Involved, and there you're going to find all the information you need about what exactly a coaching circle is. Don't worry if it sounds kind of intense. We're going to be starting slow, meeting everyone where they are. But I do think it's important to have the space and to connect so that we can find some solace and some order amidst the chaos. So for this week, I'm presenting to you a beautiful conversation, I think anyway, with one of my favorite people who is none other than my co-founder in The New Grassroots, Vanilla Francis. And we cover a wide range of topics. I would not even know how to begin to summarize this conversation. Um, But I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you can take some hope or some inspiration in some little piece of it. And yeah, just sending you all so much love and so much care. My name is Fenella Francis. I am 25 years old, just turned 25, be 25. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, I work full-time as a customer service representative. Um, I also have a makeup business and I uh, decided to do this idea (laughs) with Yannick <laughs> to start the new grassroots and it's been a hell of a ride so far but I wouldn't take it back for anything um and uh I am a bit of an empath so you know I I try to practice ways to keep that on the control awesome well thank you so much for being here today Fenella. you're obviously a very special guest being the co-founder of the new grassroots And you're also someone that I have a tremendous amount of admiration, gratitude, and love for. So I'm hoping that we can make some magic here today. 
um, and go, you know, kind of deep. <laughs> so I guess my first question is, what drew you to want to be involved with the new grassroots in the first place? Because when we first met, as people usually are, we mm-hmm. were complete and total strangers. So yeah. how did it go from that to like this four-year-long partnership that it's been so far? I don't even know. <laughs> okay, so as a child, um, my parents always used to have me involved in a lot of different church activities. Um, I was an altar server. I used to help my mom prepare cakes and every other thing that she could possibly pull out of pull out of her sleeves to create for um, these fundraisers. Um, she was a she was a catechist, so. Um, she was really involved, needless to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was already kind of accustomed to being up out of my bed at three o'clock and, and four o'clock in the morning preparing stuff for these things. So I guess as I got older, I continued with um, volunteer work. Um, I At one point, I was a part of Rotaract. Um, I, uh, I, I dabbled in a few others, but like never really found my place. Um, after a while, I always felt a little, I don't know, it, 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 it's after a while, some, some things started, started feeling forced. Um, and so I would always kind of withdraw myself. Um, so when I met you and you told me about this, my first instinct was like, oh God, <laughs> I cannot do another one. I don't think I can. And uh, but I mean, you were also a university student at the time, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, and university work was 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 pretty stressful actually. And um, I was, of course, very involved there as well because I couldn't help myself. Um, so at first, I was reluctant. Um, and you knew this, but sometime you came back to Antigua and we met again and you spoke with me about it. And uh, at that time I was just coming back from you. We had nothing to do. And I was like, you know what? Why not? She seems like a cool person. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, and, uh, I think actually what really got me um, or what really moved me to um, what the point of uh, I have to like do anything in my power to make this work is uh, when we did the coaching circle. Mm. And uh, yeah, like um, we spoke about some really personal stuff and it's never been easy for me to open up to anyone about anything that would have happened to me or anything that I went through as a younger person. But you were so open and receptive to everything I said. And uh, um, it really helped my learning and healing process. I was even able to use some of the tactics um, and strategies when I was working at the time at Outdoor World. Because um, we, yeah. we all had the... Yeah, I remember those times. <laughs> um. But we all had our little days to do um, our mornings to, to to chair the morning meeting. And uh, sometimes I'd use some of the things that I learned with you at that time. Um, and I think it just it just went from there. The more we spoke about it, the more we met, um, the more, just the more that happened is the more that I believed. Um, and the closer we got, and I guess at this point, I'm just as invested as you know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes even more, I would say. I mean, you're really <laughs> the engine part of the new grassroots, I would say. Like, I'm kind of a brain off somewhere. I mean, I'm not even in Antigua, which is the first thing. And you've always had this way of, like, bringing other people into the circle as well. Um, and you do that so naturally. Like, I don't even know how you're doing that, but it just happens. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> um, I guess there's like a big part of me that is just like, um, um, 
because I believe in this so much now and uh, I believe in you and what we can accomplish and uh, the fact that I know that a movement like this is very much needed and uh, will be accepted the, the more people I speak to about it um, I guess that's kind of what just just keeps me going like I I am a, a, I, I like to think of myself as like a facilitator. Mm. So I kind of want to be that person to just put the things, put the puzzle pieces together and make the, make it work. So whether it is that I need to go and speak to a random lady um, that, um, that just popped into a meeting that said that she might have some experience in nonprofits or I need to make the phone call that makes me uncomfortable because I just don't like talking to people. <laughs> I feel like at this point, um, grassroots has been helping me grow. And uh, I want nothing but to see it grow as well. Because I know how much it's done for me. I know it can do a lot for someone else. Yeah. I mean, part of the... I mean, one of the founding principles of the new grassroots has always been like, we want people to come into it and make it their own in some way. And we actually want the members, like anyone who's a part of this, to also benefit from it. So I think it's really super important that you yourself feel like this is an avenue that's been really important for your personal growth and maybe your professional growth as well. I wonder, though... How has this experience in particular with the new grassroots been different from your previous experiences with community work or working with churches or even things that you would have done while you were in university, volunteer-wise? Well, for one, I have never been a (laughs) (laughs) co-founder. And uh, just like any other business, you really are the dishwasher, the cook, the um sometimes the person who tends to the lawn um the 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 sweeper everything (laughs) um and uh i think for one it's just a little bit more exciting to be honest (laughs) to to be the one that has to think about all these different moving parts um and uh i think also working so closely with someone who gives me a new perspective basically every time we meet sorry Um, about it (laughs) no need um yeah um I think that's also one of the 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 things that the driving factors Mm -hmm. um it's also been uh, that it's also something I believe in like, I absolutely love my country and uh, want the best for it. And I absolutely want to see the best in people individually. And I think the new grassroots is a good marriage of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to express myself as I am. I don't feel like I have to fit in into something. Um, and uh, I have never... For all the people we've worked with recently um, or over the years that we've been doing this, I don't think any one of them have ever told me that they felt like they had to be this different person just to be a part of us or whatever. If anything, um, because, you know, we had a few um, members and then because of other life commitments, they had to draw back. Some of them would like say, oh, I really miss being a part of um, this movement and, uh, I see the fact that they miss it because they continue to share our stuff. They continue to talk about us with someone else. Um, I think also my other issue with some of the groups that would have been a part of is like, you know, like any other like blind staff, I kind of felt like that. Hmm. Um, I kind of felt like we met, they kind of said what they're doing. Um, uh, they gave us some instruction and then they mm-hmm. kind of just like went on our way, mm-hmm. whether it would be just like a, okay, so we're going here this day to do this and we need some volunteers. Um, There wasn't much involvement in the after the volunteer work. And I think it would have 
been a little bit, at least for me personally, it would just feel nicer to be a little bit more involved. I feel like the only time they needed me is when it would just involve doing like some manual work. And there were some times when you didn't see the people who were giving these instructions doing that work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not in every group I've been with, but there has been some. Um, I think also, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel forced. Like it feels like I'm doing something that is uh, going, maybe I might not see the change in my lifetime, but I know that if it's something that we keep up, it's the cultural shift that we could possibly have or possibly influence um, is what I am excited for. There's some other groups where it's just, you know, clean a beach or something. <laughs> and I know, of course, that has some effects um, long-term for, uh, in other ways, but it just, I don't know, it just never seems altogether mindful. It's kind of just like, we're a nonprofit and this is what we're supposed to do because we're a nonprofit. I love that you use the word mindful because that is kind of the big difference with this group is that mindfulness is really a big part of the selling feature of it. And it's a big part of our entire process. Like it starts with mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading this book, um, Systems Thinking for Social Change. I forget the name of the author, or rather I don't think I can pronounce it properly. But (laughs) in it, they kind of dissect like the difference between the traditional nonprofit way of operating, which is you identify a problem and then you come up with like a way that you can solve it basically as quickly as and efficiently as possible, which Mm -hmm. oftentimes lead to band-aid effects, like say a problem like homelessness, people will set up shelters But the whole point of a shelter is that it's a temporary housing. So then, you know, someone can stay there for a week or so, but then they have to move on. And the time that they spend there isn't enough to really disrupt their trajectory. So they just end up homeless again. And yeah, the system that supports that rewards those organizations that can kind of do that cycle quickly enough. But at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, it doesn't really solve the problem of homelessness. And I think that a lot of social problem solving works on that model, which actually create, like, continues to create the conditions that give you the problem. Whereas what we're trying to do is take a completely different, wider sort of system level look at things and see what are the conditions creating the problems and how could we change those conditions And how can we start like really simple with just the individuals who are sort of already, already in that zone and thinking differently? Right. It's almost like the phrase, teach a man to, what, no, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, but teach a man to fish and he can eat for the rest of his life. Yeah. So I think that a lot of what we're doing kind of revolves around that. Mm -hmm. Um, It moves away from problem fixing and more as a problem solving, because then you give someone a new mindset and you never know what they can do with that. I like to look at how people made it from nothing to something. And one of the things that they always talk about is the fact that, um, or one of the things some of them talk about <laughs> is that um, they, they always had this, I have to make it mindset. And they were willing to make the sacrifices along the way. Whereas someone else who doesn't have that mindset, who's always in this um, um, feeling sorry for myself or, you know, this is never going to change usually. Or those people, you know, they never really make it out of their terrible circumstance. Yeah. Um, But I think that, starting in the starting on an individual level and starting in the mind of someone is probably how you solve a problem (laughs) yeah Um, and I mean another part of that approach is you know coupled with mindfulness there is a 
like an empathy dimension to it as well because it's not just going in and telling someone that they need to be different in some way but it's actually listening to them in such a way that it allows them to like reveal things about themselves or reveal more about the forces that might be acting on them creating the mindset that they might be stuck in or the situation that they might be stuck in right right that's one thing that's usually difficult to identify on on your own yep um that's what they call in theory you the blind spot it's like i guess you could say for the average person we don't really think too deeply about why we're doing the things that we're always doing like we might have some sort of story about it mm-hmm. like you were saying um when we were doing our coaching calls you may have had a story about why certain things happened the way that they did in your childhood and why that how that's impacted you or how mm-hmm. like the kind of person that you've become as a result of these things mm-hmm. and without like sitting down purposely and deliberately like examining the details of that story and having someone who can kind of point out inconsistencies in it mm-hmm. just kind of stay with it yeah you do because you have that person who can be objective in that situation where it may be difficult for you to be at that time it's definitely been something that's really changed my life I'm so glad because honestly it changed my life like when I was first introduced to this kind of stuff it I don't know radically changed everything that I was doing like my job is different my career is different my outlook is different (laughs) Like, everything has just been different since that point. And it's remarkable to see that it hasn't actually been that long. I mean, I guess 2015 is when I first started learning about this. That's not long. Five years? About five years. (laughs) In the scope of my entire life? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That's a whole five years. (laughs) But, like... I know this is more about me, but like, um, how has it continued to help you um, now that you're actually also like teaching it? Okay. Uh, <laughs> the interviewer has become the interviewee. So, <laughs> I mean, it's okay. You know, sometimes you learn something and you're not really sure like if you know it or if it's for real or if it's just that, I don't know, maybe I'm taking it a certain way and this isn't actually what it is. But especially since like teaching you, Mm -hmm. I see the value in this work like way more because I can Mm -hmm. actually look back now over the course of four years and go, this is when I inserted this, (laughs) you know, into (laughs) pronouncing and like, you're so different. I find that you have so much more confidence and that might just be a function of age as well and like all the different experiences that you had in that time. Mm-hmm. But even when you're reporting back to me about the way that you're engaging with other people, I can see that mindfulness and that empathy at work in, in everything that you do, which mm-hmm. is just totally friggin' awesome. And, you know, kind of the same for anyone else that I've taught. Like, I work with organizations doing some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool to see people come into a room completely confused. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not really, we're not really clear on what the purpose of our org is or how to go about engaging people. And then taking them through these steps. And at the end, they're like, this is our game plan. This is who we need to talk to. And they have this higher sense of what's possible. Mm. You mentioned earlier, like, part of the difficulty of social problem solving in particular is that things have been the way that they are for so long that people have a hard time imagining anything different. Right. Other night, I was listening to The Snake Pit And the host kind of threw out this question like, oh, why do you, why do you think that Antiguans have the relationship that they do with their government or with the ALP in particular? And a number of the people who called in actually said like, 
you know, these are my problems, X, Y, Z, but I cannot imagine it being any other way. And that's like the problem right there. We can't imagine it being any other way. So, so then what do you, how do you know what your first step is if you can't imagine the outcome that you want? Well, if you're accustomed to something for such a long time, um, sometimes you need someone to introduce something new to you. Like um, the other day I was having a, a chat with, with, I don't remember who it was. It might've been Theoni. I was telling her about someone who was sharing a story with me that they, they're finding it difficult to save. And this is a person who is years older than me. So like saving money, and, just generally putting money away. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they were saying that, um, you know, it's just so difficult to fight their impulses and blah, 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 blah. And uh, at first, like for the first minute of them telling me this, I told, I was, not I told them, but in my head, <laughs> I was saying, you're a, you're years older than me. How is this, how is this possible? Like, I know it's difficult to, 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 to say, like, you know, <laughs> but like from the standpoint of it's difficult for me because I can't fight my impulses. Like I have impulses, but I fight them. So mm-hmm. it dawned on me just after I had this thought that, yo, these people are not surrounded by the same people you are. They yeah. didn't have the lessons that you had. They don't have the friends that you have. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they don't have half the things as it pertains to influence that you have. So it's, it's, I felt so bad. Like I was scolding myself in my head. Even though something now may seem a little bit more manageable for me, I, um, I, (laughs) I know that it took time for me to build it or to get it that way. Yeah. And, uh, it wouldn't have been this way had I not had certain people around me like you. Yeah. So I can imagine how, if you're trying to make changes by yourself, um, in an environment that isn't conducive to the changes or people who are actually like pulling you towards your impulsiveness, Mm -hmm. how that can make the situation real, real hard. Real, real hard. (laughs) (laughs) We press on one way or another. And I guess that's why we're gifted with these um, opportunities to meet these types of people who have this influence on us. Because that way we can pass it on to somebody else. Amen. Um, Question about that. Was there a moment where you decided, like, I'm going to specifically curate my friends or my social circle or anything like that? Or did it kind of organically form that way? Oh, no. I made that decision consciously. (laughs) Um, And uh, I... When would you say that that happened? Why or when? When? There was a point where um, I was out with a few friends and I couldn't get my ride. <laughs> and well, we're right back home. Um, they wouldn't pick up <laughs> because when they go to sleep, <laughs> that's, that's it. it. <laughs> um, I tried calling a few people well, couldn't get them. And so I asked, someone who I thought was like a friend for a ride home. Um, uh, But they had plans, you know, with someone else, you know, after party and thing, you know. (laughs) And yeah, like I would have been cool with it. Like if they had said, um, no, I can't right now. I'm really sorry. Or didn't even have to apologize. All they had to say was I can't. Yeah. Or no, Um, whatever. Right. All they did was said, um, um, well, I'll see. And so they were the only person who I knew. Well, not that I knew at the, um, the, the party, but they were the, the, one of the only people that I would trust there. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were obviously going to be my first pick. And they said, we'll see. And then a few minutes later, they left. 
and they didn't tell me anything and whatever, whatever. And uh, so I had to find another ride home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it was at that moment when I realized, you know, maybe, um, like I don't, I don't have anything against them. Um, I've gotten over it, like all the way over it. Yeah. But it was a turning point for me where I actually sat down and thought about, hey, you know, maybe you need to think more about who you surround yourself with, type of friends you have. Because it's not like they were adding any like real value to my life. It was just one of those friends that you have because of uh, uh, not the circle that you're a part of or somebody else who's a friend. Um, <clears throat> and, Situational uh, friendships. Right, those types of friendships. And uh, I would admit at that time, I didn't really even know what a friend was. I just kind of knew that, well, we hang out quite a bit in the same place. Um, so I guess we're friends enough. Yeah, so that happened. And then I started reevaluating who I surround myself with and uh, um, what type of influence they have in my life as a person or whoever. Um, so, yeah, that's why I can't remember exactly like when it happened. But right. that for sure was a turning point. But it sounds like you were like a young adult. Yeah, young, en- young, young enough to like not really know everything I need to know about friendship and people and all of that. But um, old enough to, to, you know, I guess, be in that type of situation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it's interesting how you phrased that. Like you were young enough to not really know what friendship really was but I'm like what at what age are you supposed to know those things just organically or is it a process of being taught in some way I feel like there are a lot of people that probably just go through life not being very conscious about who they're forming friendships with or forming any kind of relationships with it's just kind of like whoever I have whoever I happen to be around are the people mm-hmm. that I end up bonding with. I think it has a lot to do with like, even just how you value yourself personally. I think I, at that time, didn't have that much um, self-worth and self-value and self-love. I think that's how you determine anything, um, whether you're going to make a even like in the business world, are you going to get into a business relationship with this person if they're a little strange, if you can't trust their actions? Um, are you going to go down the road with this person um, if you're just not exactly sure who they are and if they'll have your best interest at heart? Mm-hmm. All of those things. I, I don't know if there's an age where it should happen, but I think it only comes at the point where you have a lot more self-love you know me I'm always kind of thinking about scale and I wonder like is there a way that we can make those things like self-love self-care having an intrinsic sense of value about yourself how can we make those things more normal like how can we start introducing those things to children so that by the time that they're old enough, they've had some practice, at least in a safer environment, like school, whatever, to develop the ability to judge those things for themselves. I feel like so much of our education has to do with like filling you up with a bunch of facts and knowledge and information and not, not a lot about how do you be- like how do you behave how do you be a person how do you take care of yourself which is like the most of life it's the most yes literally the most <laughs> like the biggest part of life um yeah, but relating. like I listened to this um this this um singer um reggae artist um she's called Janine someone told me this and uh, um I didn't necessarily like think about it too much but then there was one day I was listening to her and it hit um she speaks a lot about like how to develop your own self love and appreciation mm. and she also speaks 
about it, more so from the female standpoint um, than anything else. And uh, she was thinking about like how we raise children. Mm. You know, you raise children to um, this is bad, this is good, but we don't always give them an explanation. Mm-hmm. And uh, we like to say no. And we don't necessarily give them a chance to express themselves and their thoughts. We don't question them enough, you know, that so that they can explore their thoughts. Yes. Um, we kind of just tell them what to do. And of course, um, for anyone, it takes some time to learn what to do, to learn how to behave, to learn whatever. Um, and if you are not aware what voice in your head is from uh, me, like what voice is mine mm-hmm. and what voice is from someone else, somewhere else who that I learned, I don't know, that I picked up five years ago. <laughs> um, is that the voice? And I think, um, I think even a few months ago, I had this conversation with someone um, about about like how to distinguish your voice from someone else's voice, and it takes a lot of uh, uh, what's the word? It takes a lot of like internal thought processes. Like you have to ask yourself a lot of different questions, and then over time, you'll kind of know. Okay, so this is what I like. This is the type of personality I have. This is like. Who I am. Mm-hmm. So more than likely, this voice is mine. So um, for me personally, like I'm a full-blown introvert and I've been trying to run away from it. So I try to surround myself with people who, you know, did all the stuff. <laughs> and uh, I I tried to mimic what they did and and and, and all of that. And it never really worked out in my favor because I'm just not that person. <laughs> like I'm not like, I don't want to do these things. Like I just want to exist within myself. I want to exist at home or, you know, I want to be a part of more, like, even if I do go out and socialize, I want to socialize in smaller settings with more people that I can trust and reason with and have a good conversation. And I don't want to just go out and drink and, 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 and whatever. Like I, I don't, I, I actually don't like those things. <laughs> like, I think if I'm out with a few friends and there's good music playing, like I do it. Like I'm going to dance and thing and whatever, but like, I am just not a, like a fat person. <laughs> right. Like those types of things. So I had to take a while to learn even that about myself that I don't like pets. I just thought I was strange, you know? There's a like, lot of cultural <laughs> pressure around those things as well. Yes, so it can be very hard to distinguish like what is me genuinely wanting to and what is just pressure. Yeah. Lots of pressure. <laughs> Lots of pressure. Um, but, you know, with time, I was able to learn what voice is mine, what voice is someone else's. Um, and it is something that you can teach your children from a very young age. But my mom's confirmation class, I would always tell her, hey, y'all need to teach more than just Jesus stuff. You should uh, try to teach more, not more, but incorporate other types of skills that these students, children will need um, growing up. So skills like knowing how to talk to yourself, um, knowing how to um, motivate yourself, um, any type of personal development stuff. Like they, don't, they don't tell you about any of those things. Any of those things. They just tell you, um, the Lord will provide, but <clears throat> there needs to be more than that that we tell them. And like, I can speak from experience with that because like I told you, I was heavily involved in church and uh, I was an altar server. And of course, when I got older and I was looking for those summer jobs and those Christmas jobs, I was put in, oh yeah, I was an altar server for this mm. amount of years and I helped out with this but this is all the years, and I mean years. Actually, I sent my resume to my sister, and she was like, can you take that off of your resume? That it, nobody cares that you're an alt server. Right. <laughs> nobody so it's like, cares. what is the point of <laughs> occupying young people with these things if they don't actually provide any value once you enter the real world, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
do you know how disappointing that was? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't just doing it because of that. I actually quite liked Delta serving. But it was pretty disappointing that I spent my entire childhood doing that alone when I could have been out and participating in other groups that would have developed my social skills, um, how I speak to people. I still, I, I personally still cannot look someone in the eye for too long. And like, Aww. that's not good. <laughs> I, I still can't do that. I still don't know how to do it. <laughs> that's an interesting one. The whole eye contact thing. I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I think that's, Sometimes that's why I come off as intimidating because I make a lot of eye contact. Like, I don't care. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah. So we, you know, we kind of spent some time talking about some of the difficulties and, you know, some of the hangups that we have culturally. But what are you grateful for having learned, I guess, in your childhood? What are some of the lessons that you can take from then that are actually still serving you today? Mm, probably discipline. My family wasn't like, you know, like poor, but we had a budget that we had to stick to. Um, and my mother made it clear to us before we went into the supermarket that you can either have what, I, what how many things I can have. So if I can have one thing, Mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it's a candy bar or something and even when I picked up that thing she would look at the price and say pick something else <laughs> <laughs> um, and you just had to comply like she didn't or at least I wasn't um, I didn't get like like licks when I was younger I think my mom must have like hit me once because mm-hmm. I had chops and I had never chops at my mother again <laughs> Never. Um, But also um, when she would, uh, when uh, she would wake me up at three o'clock in the morning to make it, to make these things for um, for the church um, fundraising sales and all of those stuff. Like all of those things taught me that if you're going to commit to something, you got to commit. And if you, if you, um, her telling me that, I can only have one thing in the supermarket shows that she's still allowing me to be a child and to experience things that I like, but you must always have a limit. Right. Um, and it also, my mom has like excellent, well, from, to me, I think she has excellent savings and spending habits. And uh, from a child watching her pick up things in the supermarket looking at it for so long. Um, although it was annoying and I still don't do that. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> it still showed me that um, still be thoughtful in the things that you do. Um, know what you need, what you don't need and um, that type of stuff. So I think I'm very grateful for those two things in particular. Yeah, let's talk about your university experience a bit. Okay. Because, I mean, I met you when you were a student in university. And Mm. just, you know, I have fragments of memories of things that you would have said at that time. And it's also one of these experiences that I'm always really interested in. Because, you know, when you are from Antigua and your parents or whoever, the Board of Education, kind of spends the money to send you somewhere to study... It's a big deal, and oftentimes we go in with one set of expectations or ideas, and then we come out like completely differently. So oh, yeah, I'm always <laughs> interested in like how the university experience shaped people. So, what were like? What did you study? What was your intention going into university? And then, how did you feel like that shifted coming out of university? Okay. Um... So I studied psychology with management. Psychology was my major and management was my minor. So I did less management subjects or lectures that 
of courses mm-hmm. <laughs> than I did psychology. Um, and uh, I had the intention of being a psychologist. Why did I pick that? Why did I you pick that? needed to go to university because my friends were, right? <laughs> Naturally. I kid you not, that was my rationale. Like I had these group of friends, they, they were progressing in the educational world and I thought that I might as well progress with them. And they, of course, encouraged me as well. Uh, the desire to go to university came more so from your friends than from your family? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, like they encouraged me as well, but I didn't know what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So me going to university at the time was more so because uh, I, my, 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 my friends were taught the value from whoever they were around, their parents, whoever. And uh, I was taught the value through them. Of course, some of my family members would uh, then say, oh, yeah, you should go um, and offer some encouragement. But I think I... At that time, I listened more to my friends than I did family. I think it was just that stage in my life where young people do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I didn't know what I wanted to be. I knew that I liked listening to people's problems and I seemed to give good advice. And I said, maybe I should just be a psychologist. One day, I just happened to go through the list again and I saw it had psychology with management. I was like... Hmm, I feel like that would be more interesting to do just because I kind of like management as well because mm-hmm. I liked the business subjects that I did in high school and stuff. So I changed my application to psychology with management, got in, got my scholarship, um, went on to university. And my intention was to stay somewhere by myself. Mm-hmm. However, I wasn't looking early enough and all of those places were taken so a friend of mine from actually we were just acquaintances at the time um she was also two other persons were also looking for a place to stay and one of them found a three-bedroom and they were like hey we could just stay here and then once we get there we can start looking for somewhere else right um so we all said okay cool that's no problem we can do that we got there and uh, i like I told you, an introvert. <laughs> so I, I didn't know how I felt about staying in a place with two other people who, like, we weren't, like, real close friends as right. yet. Um, but I, I tried to go into it with an open mind. Um, they seemed, like, really sweet and stuff, so why not? And I ended up loving it. The first thing that I learned while being there was that I actually loved staying with the both of them. Um, uh, I didn't, I struggled with my female friendships because I wasn't this very, um, preppy, like want to, to do all the things, have my hair done and my nails and, you know, the girly stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't, but now you're a makeup into, artist, so. Girl. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> But I was still a big dog boy back then. Um, so I didn't necessarily fit in with like the conversations and like the things that they would want to do. So I always struggled with my female friendships. Um, but this one just, it just worked. Like we looked out for each other. Um, when we were coming home from school, we made sure everyone was in the house at night. Um, if there was any time that any of us were going to be out a little later, we always made sure to say something, mm-hmm. you know, just because um, you don't want anyone to worry. Right. Um, there was even a time when one of us couldn't, uh, the money from the scholarship was taking so, a, a while to get to them. And uh, the other two of us, we pitched in and they hated it, of course, because they didn't want to be a burden. Mm. But we said, we're not going to just let you not eat. Like, that's, that's, right. that's impossible. We'll never do that to you. Um, and we built a friendship over time. And it's only at that point I saw the need for female friends. 
I saw the need to um, just like be around them and talk to them about my experiences. Um, even uh, like you can't you can't talk about certain things with men. <laughs> um, nor should you. Nor should you, right? So they having the up having the the opportunity to talk to them about some things that I might have went through or um to like get their reasoning on maybe somebody I liked at the time, whatever the case is, you know, having a different female ear to listen. And they were both pretty reasonable with me. Um and both very rational persons. Mm-hmm. So I always got really good advice from them. Um advice that I probably still implement to this day. Um, but yeah, it was only at that time when I realized having female friends is important. Like having this, 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 this gang. <laughs> Pause for a second just to say like, or just celebrate female friendships because they are amazing and they are important. Yes. yes. And I have also historically struggled with female friendships. Um, and I guess I kind of went through a phase of being like, Oh, you know, I'm that girl who's not like friends with girls because I don't know how to girl. Um, Uh (laughs) And trying to make it a cool thing when it wasn't. Uh But, oh my God, like I do so much appreciate my female friends now because they are the people who will take care of you, you know? Even when you don't know how to take care of yourself or when you don't know how to ask for help. They're the ones that are always stepping in and like, you know, playing that, that motherly figure or that big sisterly figure. And it's friggin' amazing when women support each other. That's all I wanted to add. Yeah, it is amazing. It really is. Like it's, it was, it was such a big um, life changer for me. And I, I wish it was a thing earlier. Yeah. So this is kind of where my, 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 my love for makeup came from as well. Because I was so close with these young ladies. Um, I saw how much they did to get themselves together and whatever. Actually, how could I forget? Zoe lived at the bottom of us. And she used to come and push these makeup tutorial videos in my face. And say, oh yeah, we should try this. We should try that. And at first I'm just like, no. <laughs> Why would I do that? Yeah, I'm sitting down here for 20 something minutes looking at somebody <laughs> pound their face with a sponge. <laughs> and then I watched a video and I was in love. I was just like, what is this world? <laughs> um, so I tried it out. Like I tried out the different techniques. I really liked them. I got really good because I'm usually good with doing things with my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, uh, I eventually, like people at UWE, when I would go out, they would notice my makeup looks really nice. And they're like, who does your makeup? And I'm like, I do it. I just watch YouTube videos and then they tell me what to do. They tell me how to put on the thing and what to do with it. So I just follow it. Um, and even then, when I look back at my pictures, I'm just like, my makeup wasn't that good. <laughs> but people liked it. Yeah. So after a while, one or two persons would ask me to do their makeup. And uh, I was very, like, I was reluctant at first because, I don't know, you're just feel afraid to mess up. Right. But then uh, I gave it a try and uh, it wasn't so bad. I decided, well, um, why not do something to supplement what my parents have to send to me every month? So if I do this, then maybe I can make a little extra point so that I can then just buy the things that I want to buy, like a cute little dress or whatever the case is. Because, you know, you, we have feta pan, feta pan, feta. Um, to go to. <laughs> so, so, um... So yeah, like it I became think that's, your that's, university hustle. Yeah, that's that's where it started. Cool. Um, I used to ask people to bring their own foundation because I couldn't afford to buy all the different foundation shades. Right. So I just asked them to do that, and uh, then I would use the products I had and just finish the rest of it. Um, and by the time I was done, 
I still wasn't like a hundred percent serious about it because it was, you know, just makeup. I still thought that I wanted like an actual like corporate job, um, or something. How corporate but, are you talking? Oh man, I, <laughs> I guess because management, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I went in wanting to be a psychologist. Realized I hated psychology and all the courses that they had offering. Um, I just did what I had to do, passed, get it out of the way. I guess that's why I wasn't like too keen on going to graduation, but because um, I felt like ugh, my whole university life was a fraud. Um, so I thought about doing human resource management. And uh, by the time I came back, I was planning to pursue it. I think I even did like a, a course with a, a consultant and uh, realized I didn't like that either. Mm-hmm. But all this time, I'm still not taking the makeup in like, like full on. Like, like I'm still not, yeah. no. Like I'm still just like, eh, it's just a hobby. Um, so I'd have clients on and off. There'd be times when I just tell people, no, I don't want to. Um, <laughs> and then I think it wasn't until I decided I was going to move out that I said that maybe I should take the makeup thing more seriously just because it'll probably help with paying some of my bills. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just at the beginning of any business, you're still very naive and young and you feel like as soon as you start, you can just start to make money right away, forgetting that you have to repurchase products. There are other operational costs that you have to consider. Didn't, mm-hmm. con- didn't consider none of those things. I was like, yeah, let's do this. You know, just jump back into it. Nope. Um, and I had a rude awakening. <laughs> but um, I stuck with it this time at first, just like I did with my friendships. I just tried to just like fit in mm-hmm. um, to the makeup market in Antigua. But there were just so many different things happening and a lot of people were gravitating towards all this big, bold eye makeup and all of that stuff. And that wasn't me. Like, that wasn't something I wanted to do. So it became very stressful. But with time, I realized, like with any other, like with anything you do, you kind of just have to be authentically you. You know, if my brand or if the what I want for my brand is... Um, to do light natural makeup, um, makeup that's not too busy. You know, it's, it's, it's flattering. It complements the beautiful structure and features that we already have rather than trying to just paste something on someone's face. And it just like, it's cool if people like to do that. It's real cool, <laughs> but that's just not who I wanted to be and what I wanted my brand to be. Like even how I do my, my makeup personally, it's not how I do it. Um, at first I thought I was being selfish and I should have, uh, I should have just, I shouldn't, sorry, um, try to, try to, um, hold on, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) At first I thought I was being selfish and that I shouldn't try to make my brand into something just because this is how I feel. So I tried to do some research on it. And uh, found out that it's, it is a thing that people recommend to makeup artists to find who your, what your brand is. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there are some times when you're going to have a client who wants to do something that's a little bit different than what you want to do with your brand. But, but that does not mean that um, that's what you have to do every single time. And if you continue to push out a certain quality of work, a certain type of makeup, eventually the people who want that service from you will gravitate towards you. They will come. And I've found that even more than doing these social media marketings and all these pictures and videos that I'm doing now, just having a one-on-one conversation with someone about their skin the the problems they have with their makeup right now, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just how they feel about the makeup process. A lot of people just don't want the extra, um, but more mature clients. Um, 
they just they they don't want that and some of them shy away from going to get their their face done just because mm-hmm. they they don't want to have to be subjected to that type of look oh yeah yeah so when i have these conversations one on one with someone they they're just like oh my god like you've been this is this is exactly what i want this is exactly you know who i i feel like i would be if 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 i got my makeup done more often and whatever unfortunately a lot of these people don't do their makeup as often right. <laughs> as some of the people who like the more extraness but um like i still appreciate when a few months down the line i get a message from them hey so i'm going to dinner for work or my friend's birthday or whatever it is they remember me just because of that conversation i had with them about um my process and my brand so i'm um, at the end of the day i think i'm really really happy that i decided to um not just go with the the, the green and 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 the, what everyone else was doing but i decided that i'm going to set myself apart in this way it has taken a lot of time and i'm still learning and developing my skill and my brand but i think that it's probably one of the best decisions if not the best decision i've made so far like as an adult <laughs> amazing and yeah. it also sounds like you're bringing that mindfulness and that empathy into what you're doing with your makeup clients as well so it's kind of cool to see yeah. that crossover too <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, when you think about it, if you're stressed out, like a lot of people have like stress, um, stress breakouts and stress mm-hmm. skin problems. <laughs> so, like if you're stressed out, um, and you don't like necessarily like take care of your skin generally, then putting makeup on top of it isn't really going to solve any problems for anyone. Nope. Um, but I think in everything you do, regardless of what it is you should practice some sort of mindfulness. It should never just be, okay, well, I'm just going to do it. You know, there should be a reason behind it. There should always be some form of intention setting. Like, what do you want to come from it? Um, what, are you, what are you trying to achieve? Like, I did a, a video the other day about going, like, doing your makeup for going back to work. And uh, there are so many mornings I get up and I'm like... I really have to go work today. Mm. And I say, you know what? I have some extra time. Let me just do my face very quickly. And by the time I'm done, I feel so good. Like I feel so like I'm ready to tackle the day just because I took that extra little 20 minutes with myself just to do something that I would like to do, that I want to do, to make yourself look pretty. At the end of the day, when you go out to work and people see your face, they'll be like, oh my God, you look so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little ego boost. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I feel like with anything I try to do now, it's, I always try to set some type of intention. I always had to practice some sort of intention setting. Well, Ferns, Mm. (laughs) it was awesome talking to you, as it always is. See, it's always easy to talk to you. (laughs) Well, I mean, I just sit here and listen, so it's the easiest for me. (laughs) (laughs) Just let the friendliness wash over me. Man, do I have a last question? Do you have last thoughts? Uh, hmm. Patience. I am not, I've not, I've, I've, I haven't been, always been a patient person who is um, willing to just like wait for, wait for life to throw something at me or wait for things to fall into place. Um, and it's one of the biggest things I've had to learn through every situation um, that I've been through. It's, it's, it's always been like the cornerstone patience. Just although things may not be exactly the way that you want them to be right now, in this moment, you may be trying to work on a, anything, a skill, a talent, um, just in your regular day-to-day job. Um, I think with time, 
anything is doable, you can accomplish anything. Um, although people say this like all the time in these motivational videos, it only really hits when you're in the situation, but it can also be one of the easiest things to forget. Mm. So anytime I am speaking to anyone about my journey, um, my, my journey personally and business wise, the first thing I always tell them is just remember to be patient, patient with the process and patient with yourself Mm -hmm. because you gotta know that this is, if this is what you want, you should be able to just wait just a little bit sometimes. It's a good lesson. Too bad it has had to learn it the hard way. Over and over (laughs) and over again. Oh my God. Look. (laughs) So obviously we've heard a lot from you and now we want to go we want to make sure that we keep up with everything that you're doing. So where is the best place for us to do that online? Um, on, you know, the regular social media platforms. <laughs> um, my name is Fernella Francis on Facebook. Um, my name is Ferns-ish on Instagram and Twitter. Um, if you really want to see what I'm doing, check my makeup page. It's Ashka's Beauty. And uh, check NGR. <laughs> check the new grassroots because... That's where I am most of the time. That's where most of my energy is flowing right now. And that's newgrassroots.com and grassroots A and U on all other social media platforms. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> no problem, Yanni. Thank you. Love you, love you, love you. <laughs> Listening to this episode of Grassroots Radio. If you enjoyed the conversation, show some love and help spread the word. You can do that by subscribing on Apple, Google, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Already subscribed? Consider leaving a five star review. It helps other people find the show. If you have an idea for someone you want to see featured or a topic you want us to cover, let us know. DM us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at grassrootsanu or email us at thenewgrassroots at gmail.com. For more about NGR, visit us at thenewgrassroots.com. Until next time, this is... Grassroots Radio.